in this bridging class, we took a little girl and all we taught was maths and English. That's all we taught. And the first week that we had her, she wouldn't pick up a book. She wouldn't read. So her maths and her English were really low. And it's taken two months only, two months. And dad just approached our director to say, she's going to bankrupt me. All she wants to do now is buy books. And she went up 35% from the first time we tested it. So it's not all doom and gloom. Parents should be reading to their children the last thing they do at night. Once they know they can read well, it's amazing. They become independent learners and you no longer have to lecture. You just need to facilitate and guide. And those are the ones who then become very successful academically. Recent headlines, for those who could read them, screamed, South Africa ranked last in literacy survey. Education shocker. South African child reading rates far lower than hoped. South Africa, bottom of the bunch in literacy survey. 80% of grade 4 children in South Africa can't read. And in case you were hoping this was an isolated incident, I'm afraid not. This is the third time South Africa has participated in the Progress in International Reading Survey, which is undertaken every five years. And it's the third time we're bringing up the rear, solidly. According to the 2016 report of Grade 4 Literacy, there has been no significant progress in improving South African children's reading skills since the last survey five years ago. Or in fact, since the one before that, ten years ago. These results make for horrifying reading, and we could go on and on listing all the things that aren't working. Instead, let's do something different today. I have with me in the studio two guests who are self-proclaimed reading nuts. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> And they're going to give you some practical advice on how to get your child reading right after this. The education of our children must be at the heart of our efforts. From Solid Gold Studios, this is EduThink, the show that explores education in South Africa. Here's your host, Gavin Kennedy. With me in the studio today, I have Joan Grieveneau. Hi, everybody. And Aurora Schock. Lovely to see you. Joan, tell us a little bit about your background. Well, I'm a foundation phase teacher originally and a past head of Brindale Primary School. I started another school, the British International School, together with Mrs. Oshry, using the Cambridge system. And now I'm retired for the third time, but not quite retired. I don't think I'll ever retire. You can't in education. Aurora, tell us a little about yourself. I'm also a foundation phase teacher and I've been teaching for over 20 years and most of my experience was in international American schools. And then I joined Joan at the British International Prep and the one thing that we did get going there was literacy. And what are you currently doing? I'm currently working and opening up a school called the Lone Hill International Academy, which is going to be founded on an existing high school. And one of the reasons for that is that there was a, a learning gap between the students coming into seventh grade in the high school. We're hoping to change that with uh, increasing our literacy. And Joan, what are your current ventures? At the moment, I'm working with an organization to set up the Stain City School. At the start of the show, I read some alarming headlines that were in the media recently. Joan, how did you feel waking up to those headlines? Pretty horrified, and it makes you wonder whether you have done 
anything about education in this country for the past 40 years. There are positives, but it's a very complex situation. Aurora, what was it like waking up to? For me, it was a shocker. I didn't expect it to be so bad. We've experienced a lot of little children who have come to us without reading. What saddens me is that it doesn't have to be like that because it's quite amazing that if you take a good approach, a a positive approach, they actually learn quite fast. Mm. And that's been my experience. Why grade fours? Why all this focus on grade four assessment? That's the end of teaching children the skills for reading and the beginning of the children using those skills to read. A lot of independent learning needs to take place from grade four onwards. Mm -hmm. And if you can't read with understanding, there's no learning taking place. And I think that's one of the main reasons why children don't even like maths, Mm -hmm. because they know the operations. So they can add, they can subtract, they can do division. But now when they're given a problem to solve, that's not possible because they don't understand the problem. They can't extract um, the meaning and what the problem wants or how they, how they can solve it. In a recent interview, the MEC for Education in Gauteng, Panyaza Lesufi, attributed a lot of the problems we're facing to class sizes and underskilled teachers. That applies to all subjects, but as a foundation subject, reading and literacy should be getting more attention, surely. Absolutely. How bad is it really? Well, you have to understand, then in a class of 50, how can one teacher, whether she's a reading nut or not, how can she get to every single child in a day? And reading has to be done daily. So that definitely is a factor. However, having said that, there are some teachers who can have 60 in a class and get those children reading. And that's because of her passion for for reading and what they really like to do. So yes and no. I think a lot of teachers are not given the support from administration. Um, A lot of teachers are being forced in schools, from what I hear from my colleagues talking to them, they're being forced to do things almost automatically. Uh, There's boxes to tick off. I finished this, finished that. Um, And whether they wanted to extend that lesson or not, they're being told not to. Sometimes you get into a lesson that really starts rolling And rather than stop, you should just move on and keep teaching it because the excitement, the engagement is in there. And teachers are being told, no, now the next subject is science or it's, you know, you should be doing maths. And so that restriction is not giving the teachers the opportunity to be creative and to create active centers where they can then teach individual groups. And then you also need some resources called books. (laughs) How much time are Foundation Phase children spending each week reading? We've always ensured that there's a period a day, um, so at least 30 to 45 minutes per day on reading, and you can't do it in anything less than that. But bear in mind that everything that you do at school involves some form of reading, so you could be teaching reading all day. That There's that half an hour or an hour a day if you're lucky, which is the best. It's got to be explicit teaching. You can't just say, go read. You you need to have a mini lesson where you say, okay, you're going to focus now on um, full stops, or you're going to focus on inferring the feelings in these characters. For that, you need a certain set of books. So you can have a group working on inference. You can have a group working on intonation. You can have a, a group working on 
identifying words that make sense in the story. But you need the books. In a world of WhatsApp and emoticons and artificial intelligence, is literacy still relevant? No doubt. Yes, absolutely. You can never take communication away. WhatsApp emojis, they're all communicating. They're all telling you how they feel or, or, you know, what they're going to do next. Uh, So it's communication. Spelling is not the answer to reading. You can read phonetically. It doesn't matter. The more you read, the better your spelling gets. There's too much focus on just being absolutely accurate with certain things. And, and they're done sort of abstract. They're not done in context. The children don't know why they're learning these words. The survey focused on South Africa as a whole, and the result was that 78% of grade 4 children are functionally illiterate. What are the steps to becoming literate? In the womb, the child starts to hear. So talking, not baby talk, talking to children, talking about everything. Once the child is born, starting to read and play music and talk to that child. Any child that comes into the world doesn't have anything. So as parents, we have to fill that little child's head with all the experiences, the books, the pictures, everything, so that they can have some form of experience. Because they've got to hear before they can um, speak. They have to speak before they can read. So we, we have to follow those steps as well. And then, of course, it's the mechanics of reading when they get to school. There's also the issue of hearing and sight. So we've had the experience where we have discovered that children actually are not hearing correctly. Uh, children whose eyesight, the health of the eye is absolutely perfect, but the, the tracking of the words is not there. We as teachers can't see it, parents can't see it, and the child only knows what she knows. So she can't tell us that the word's bumpy and uh, I keep going backwards. It's impossible. They need to have that You need to go to an optometrist, but you have to specifically ask for that test. So you have to say, uh, are the eyes tracking correctly, yes or no? It's not just go to the optometrist and test your eyes. That's not enough. On a day-to-day basis in the classroom, what's happening from when a child leaves grade R and, and, and is in the care of a primary school? I've been very fortunate in being in a school that had a lot of resources. Um, then I was fortunate with Joan, who absolutely fitted the one hour per day into the school timetable where it was explicitly just reading and we weren't told what we could read we as teachers were modeling it so I would bring my books from home to show them what I'm busy reading so there was a lot of sharing going on and it's what Joan says you need to speak about it Mm -hmm. before you can read it and it was funny because very soon the conversations were can I read your book and so they would swap. So we had, for example, a, a book day where they brought in three books and took one home. And it was, for me, the most exciting thing of the whole thing was to say, oh, you're reading my book now. And and then I'd say, well, what was that about? That was the conversations going. And that's when we came to the understanding that also you've got to then write what you've read. Some way show that you've understood So there's too much of this mummy sign-off that I did my 20 minutes in the evening. It just causes stress. Rather give them a paper, if they're very young, let them draw a picture of what they read. Let them write phonetically what they read. But you mustn't correct it. 
So this correcting all the time just makes them feel despondent. And you leave that for a bit later. I mean, they obviously have to get to spelling is is important when you're writing a, a paper in university. But to get the children to believe that they can read, you don't fill their page with red marks. The children coming from nursery school or reception into grade one. Very often in reception, and I'm not talking about the school that I've been in, but uh, the majority of schools in the country, you have got um, people as childminders looking after those children. They don't have to be qualified teachers in the pre-primary schooling. So therefore, the children come not having been fed the right things that they will need for reading. And that's the problem. Is a lot of what the parents doing checkboxes? In other words, teachers are saying, go home and read and do this, and the parent signs that they've done it, but it's not necessarily quality reading or any reading happening. Is this a symptom of complete outsourcing? And not my problem. A parent saying, I'm sending my child to school, that's your job, teach them to read and write. In many cases, the parents are busting their gut to send their children to a school that they believe is going to teach their children. And that for me is an incredible problem because they're so busy working to get the money to pay for the schooling that they don't have any time to spend with the children. You don't want that quality time to go from family time into stressful time. You've got to read before you go to school. You've got to learn your spelling. So you cause conflict at home, and that doesn't bring any positive light into reading. No, I, I don't mind that <laughs> that the parents don't have to do the work. Um, what I'd like to see them do is encourage it. So have books at home just before they go to bed. Say, have you read a little bit before going to bed? Without it being a stress, without it being a negative. And then when they're out shopping, get the children to read the sign. Could you quickly look on this box and see how much sugar there is in this Oreos? That kind of thing. And eventually it becomes a norm rather than I must. We're doing this measurement at grade four level. But it sounds like what you're saying is this problem was predictable long before we get to grade four. And after being aware of this for 10 years, not much has changed evidently on a national basis. We've got parents listening, we've got teachers listening, we've got principals listening. What should a principal be doing in a school? To allow the teachers the time to do the reading. To employ teachers that know how to teach reading. If they don't know how to teach reading, to give them the support to gain that skill. I just believe that if you have somebody who's passionate about education, about teaching, you can teach them anything. So to teach a teacher who is passionate, is not a chore. You give them opportunities and they will then, um, that will spill off to the children. So as far as the head is concerned, finding the funds and that to get the right teachers to teach the children, I think is the most important thing there. Aurora, what should teachers be doing? They need to recognize that reading is throughout the whole day. So whether it's maths or whether it's science or history, it doesn't matter. Uh, keep coming back to whatever the objective was in your own English lesson consistently. So if you've been teaching proper nouns, when you do history and you talk about Gauteng or something, keep bringing that up. So it becomes a, a constant integrated process. I think the children start seeing 
reading as the negative, it's an isolated subject. It shouldn't be. Teachers need to be allowed to bring their experience, their expressions into how they teach it. It shouldn't be told to them how to do it. I think teachers can be incredibly creative if they've been given the opportunity. I think the the education department has tried to streamline the curriculum so that everything is in that curriculum. I think the box ticking has made it so rigid in order to make sure that the children learn the skills for all these outside tests. But they've done exactly the opposite because teachers are teaching in most schools to a checklist and they're not having the time to teach. It's all assessing. And that, for me, is a huge problem. So if the teachers are under that kind of pressure to do that, they're not going to give the children the enjoyment and the love of reading. They're just going to be ticking the boxes. That's a problem. You're right. Too much testing in foundation phase. There should be more focus on producing their own work. Let's get to know our guests a little better in our fast fire round. Joan, who was your favorite teacher at school? Mr. Chapman, he used to read to us and he spoke to us. He talked to us incessantly. He gave language such a laugh. Miss Hardy, and she was in grade three. Every day, at the end of the day, the last half an hour, she'd read to us the line, the witch in the wardrobe. And we'd start the next day with a picture of what she had read the day before. And for me, that was my best year ever. If you could give one book to every learner who came through your school. The same book. The same book. What book would it be? The Hairy Caterpillar for the Great Ones and Julia Donald books. Yes, the, the Gruffalo. Ju- yes, mm. The Gruffalo. What's your favorite musician, band, era or genre of music? The Beatles. But then I also enjoy classical music, and um, Grieg's Piergin Suite for me is the most magic, magic piece of music ever. Tom O'Dell, the young British singer, and uh, before that was Ed Sheeran, who I still enjoy. I still remember these old country lanes when we did not know the answers and the way you But like Joan, the Beatles never dies. What's the one thing you take to school every day? My pencil box. (laughs) My smile. Paperback or Kindle? Paperback. At the moment, Kindle. What do you have for lunch? 
tuna salad in a rush. <laughs> no, no, even when it's not in a rush. I love it. <laughs> what was the biggest transformation you've ever seen in a learner from when they joined the school you were at until they left? It has to be a young man whose parents put him into the school and lost their jobs and the child was left there. He had so many, so many drawbacks and I didn't ever think that we'd get him to where he needed to be, but the teachers helped him unbelievably. When he left me at the end of grade seven, he called me mother. And through his high school years, he went through a really, really bad patch. And the high school phoned me and said to me, wouldn't I go and talk to him? I went and talked to him and uh, we got him back on track. And a couple of years later, uh, he came to me in, in pick and pay and said, I'm a packer now. I'm going into the stores and then I'm going to be a buyer. I know that he will achieve because he has the character. It was also a little boy that came to my class and it was tears, tears every day. And he wouldn't talk to anybody. It's building that confidence to stand up for yourself and to to show who you really are, what your potential is. And two years down the line, I went to see him on stage at the grade seven school play and he had one of the main leads. And that for me was brilliant because he's really going places now. There's that little story, I think I can, I think I can, uh-huh. I think I can. <laughs> I know I can, I know I can. <laughs> What do you spend absurd amounts of money on? Books. I know some people, it's shoes and handbags. With me, it truly is books. <laughs> in addition to giving rankings in the survey, one of the things I did was list things that make a good reader. First one was home environment that supports literacy. Agree. Children do as they see, not as they're told. What does support in the home look like? Support in the home for me would be a parent who would model the reading, doing some reading with the child. If a parent doesn't have the money for a book, and many homes in this country don't, it can be reading the signposts to and from school, the pictures and the words, so the street signs, the road signs, the shop signs, handouts that are given to the children. Adverts are are a major source of reading material for children if there's no reading in the home. There's reading in the home if the parents are able to, then storytelling and talking to their children and allowing discussion, because discussion starts them thinking and allowing them to have a different perspective, a different point of view is important. Another attribute of good readers was that they started early. Uh, You were saying right from the womb. Mm -hmm. I believe that. I really do. Very early on. In nursery schools Mm -hmm. even, they should just have books without words even. It's like being able to express how they see things and how they, they view the world. So if you've given them a book without words, which you do get, Let them tell their own story, and that gets them to become good readers because then they become storytellers and they want to know more stories. 
storytelling. If the parents tell the children the stories, even if they haven't got the books, if they tell them the stories, they are filling their heads with different vocabulary, making different pictures in their heads, and that would be an enormous assistance. Enormous. You mentioned earlier that the readiness phase is often actually just child-minding and not educational. So parents selecting a, a preschool that has more reading rather than just uh, feeding, napping, and changing very important. Good readers attend well-resourced, academically-oriented schools. Does that mean we should be donating books? What does well-resourced actually mean? You can have too many resources and not know what to do with them. Information overload's not the answer. It's the time. The time available to actually read it and to, to use those resources. Children need books. They need books. So, yes, donations of books, magazines, if we could just get them to the right schools, they would provide a lot of reading material. Good readers attend school regularly, are well-fed and well-rested. Absolutely. Do, do we take this for granted? I think we do. Children need to be fed. It's all those social economic things that, that make it easy for children to learn to read. Good readers have a positive attitude toward reading. Have digital devices made reading uncool? Well, you've got to read on digital devices. They can enhance, but they can't be the only thing that children are reading. They need to read their books as well. I don't think that these tablets and electronics can take the place of a book. It becomes very passive reading. So then they don't want to visualize and make the movie in their head and hear the sounds. They want to rather just press on the picture and hope it'll make a sound back. We've had a four-year-old take a book and do this, you know, go over it as though it was an iPad. So that's a lot of passive learning. Some of this sounds very obvious. Some of it sounds intuitive. Uh, some of it sounds like it's sort of happening at the moment, but perhaps not as intensely or as consciously as it could be or should be. So when our listeners get up, tomorrow morning or if, when they put their children to bed tonight? What should parents be doing differently? What should teachers be doing differently? Parents should be reading to their children the last thing they do at night. They should read to them. Read them something that they love or something new. Teachers should be going to bed thinking, well, how can I do that lesson better? How can I get Johnny who doesn't want to read to read? The department should be looking at the training of teachers and how they train them to give them the opportunities to be able to have the skills to teach the children. Consistency is also a key to making it work. You can't just decide to read on one day and the next day not read. So for me, homework should be reading and should be every single day and that includes Saturday and Sunday. So it should become a habit. You brush your teeth and then you read a page or two and they don't have to make it arduous. So it doesn't have to be 20 minutes. Just read a page or two, flick through and then go to bed. Eventually, they will read more and more and more. In a Department of Arts and Culture survey done in June 2007, 89% of adults surveyed said they never had the opportunity to read when growing up. That's sad. What should parents of today be leaving lying around for children to read? Comics, books, adverts. I think that those parents who didn't have the opportunity, advertising today is unbelievable. It makes you think, it makes you read. So adverts, I mean glossy, glossy adverts, 
you pick them up everywhere. So there's no excuse for a household not to have an, a handout or something like that to, to read. I had once an experience where I had to teach a section on Greek mythology and my children were looking very glazed. <laughs> there. It was not going down well. And I went back home thinking, okay, how can I make this better? And so I started Googling and I discovered that all the Marvel comics are actually based on the same sort of names. And so I got hold of some comics and educated myself. And the minute I started comparing the two, the gods with one of the comic heroes, all of a sudden it came to life and they loved it. So it's it's finding those connections mm-hmm. and finding their interest because it doesn't matter what they read. If it's about Messi being the best football player, let him read it, but then let him explain and show it to the class. The understanding comes in when that child needs to tell you what they've read. So book reviews are so, so, so important. They shouldn't be going to read another book until they've done a book review. In our school, we're going to have set workbooks from grade one. So in grade one, they're going to do something called David Goes to School. Obviously, they're not going to be able to write me an essay on it. but They can draw a picture and write a sentence in whichever form they want. And that will show whether they've understood it or not. They want to share. But I think a lot of children fear expressing themselves because they think there's a right way and a wrong way. And when they realize that there's no wrong understanding, it's your understanding. So let's carry on with it. It gets better as they get the confidence. And through them expressing to you, it's when you say, okay, so you saw it like this, but how about if it was like that? Or Jason, how did you see it? Did you understand it that way? It's the discussions that need to come in. Tomorrow you're made Minister of Education. What do you immediately do to remedy this? Talk to the teachers. Give the teachers the resources that they need to do the work for the children. Give them the freedom to teach. Perhaps I would make quite sure that the right people came into teaching. I think teaching almost has the lowest points to get into, and I think that you need really intelligent people to teach. I would stop the excessive bureaucracy that teachers have to endure. It's totally educationally unsound. There is no value in these huge lesson plans that are expected to be put in these huge files. Earlier on, we talked about parents outsourcing the reading and literacy to teachers. In addition to perhaps overestimating the role of the teacher in this, are parents underestimating their ability and responsibility in this? I think they are. I think that every parent can read something. They can read signs, they can read notices, they know where to go, they know how to do that. Functional literacy doesn't mean that they can't read. Parents are the one thing that is constant in the child's life from the time they go to school till the time they leave school. And they can do so much. They can motivate, they can assist their children by making themselves believe that they can do it. So I think that all of these things, If a parent has a teacher that she doesn't believe is giving the child the best, what do they do? They need to motivate the child themselves. So they've got to take that responsibility as well, whether they believe they can read or not. 
It's almost like um, if you don't think you can do it, you've got to fake it till you make it. And I think that if we could help the parents to do that, the children would be a whole lot better off. Former U.S. President Harry Truman once said, while not every reader is a leader, every leader is a reader. If you would like to see the test that was used in the Progress in International Reading Literacy Study, or even take the test yourself, you'll find the link in the show notes. Thank you to my guests, Joan Grieveneau and Aurora Schoch, for sharing their knowledge, experience, and advice with us today. Thank you also to Willem Nell at Acoustic Alien Audio for the original music, and to Solid Gold Studios for recording and producing today's show. And most of all, thanks to you for taking the time to listen. I trust today's show will give you practical solutions to help improve your child's literacy. For more information about today's show, and even a link to take the test yourself, visit solidgoldstudios.co.za forward slash edutink. Until next episode, I'm Gavin Kennedy. Keep learning. Keep learning.